This episode is brought to you by Workday. Get the whole band together with Workday and pair finance and HR on one platform for an epic performance. With Workday AI at the core, you'll make confident decisions faster than ever, and you'll drive flawless business and finance operations with an agile platform that constantly evolves to future-proof your organization. Be a finance and HR rockstar with Workday. Visit Workday.com to learn more. Hi. This call is from Social Security Administration. We found some suspicious activity. When I started covering telecom, I obviously got robocalls along with every other person in the world. We need to talk to you as soon as possible. And I just thought it was so annoying that they persisted, and I didn't understand why it was so hard to stop them. Reporter Sarah Krauss has written many articles about robocalls and why they persist. She's pointed to the regulatory failures and technical challenges that keep the calls coming. But she says she never really understood why until a woman named Nina Bellis told her this story. It framed for me why robocalls are a problem that probably will never go away because sometimes they work, and when they work, scammers have a lot to gain. Sometimes they hook a big fish, and this was the big fish. This was $340,000. Today on the show... The story of one robocall scam, which over one week robbed a New York family of hundreds of thousands of dollars. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Ryan Knudsen. And I'm Kate Leinbaugh. It's Friday, November 22nd. So Nina Bellis is a nurse in her 60s in the New York area. She is a mother. She came to the U.S. with her husband, who was a surgeon in Eastern Europe 20 years ago. She was a doctor herself in Eastern Europe. She works in oncology here at an ambulatory care center. And that's sort of where this story starts. This story is hard for Nina Bellis to tell. And she's had to tell it a lot to investigators, to cops. So you're not going to hear her voice in this podcast. But she did tell our reporter, Sarah, what happened. It started earlier this year. She was waiting for her first patient to come in on Wednesday, February 27th of this year, when she noticed a voicemail on her phone. We don't have the exact voicemail recording that Bellis got, but... It said something to the effect of... This call is from Social Security Administration. There's a problem with your Social Security number. Please call us back. You know, I think I actually did get one of these social security scams. And because it was like a different flavor, I thought, oh, is this a real thing? I suspect that there are a lot of people who kind of fall for it for a second, but then they snap out of it. Do we know why she didn't? We don't know exactly why she didn't other than it had been a really rough year for her family. Her husband had just been treated for cancer. Her One of her daughters had suffered a stillbirth. So there was a lot of emotional turmoil that was happening. This is a family that had been through a lot in that year. For Bellis, the call came at a vulnerable time. And that's important. Law enforcement officials told Sarah, when you're stressed and overwhelmed, it's easier to overlook red flags. So she calls back. An operator answers. She says, I'm Nina Bellis. I got your voicemail. 
the operator connects her to someone purporting to be an FBI agent. He says his name is Alex Mario. He gives her a badge number, and he verifies her name, her email address, and her physical address. Alex Mario seemed to know a lot about Bellis. He sounded official, and what he was telling her was frightening. He said her social security number had been compromised. Crimes have been committed under your name. We know that you didn't do it, but you're going to have to create a new social security number in order to sort of clean your reputation. And you have to cooperate. If you don't cooperate, you'll have to go to jail while we investigate it. This was a threat from a person who seemed to be a law enforcement official. Bellis took it seriously, and scammers depend on that. It's what makes these government imposter scams work. A lot of people have an inherent respect for fear of authority. So even if your better judgment would say, am I sure that that's a law enforcement official? Your first sort of reaction is, oh man, I might be in trouble and I obviously didn't mean to do it, but I got to explain to them that I didn't mean to do it or I need to at least hear them out because what if I did something wrong and I didn't know? The risk of hanging up seemed high. Not only was Alex Mario threatening her with jail time, the supposed FBI agent told her her money was at risk. He told her that her accounts were about to be frozen permanently. And so you're a few years away from retirement. You're thinking, oh my gosh, what if I can't get to my money? You know, and and so then we're sort of beginning to move down the path towards transferring money to other places. Because, of course, Agent Mario had a solution to offer Bellis. She could keep her money and stay out of jail if she just moved her assets from her accounts to new ones, what he called government-protected accounts. So during that initial phone call, the stage is sort of set for, here's the problem, here's how, what you have to do to help us solve the problem. Is there such a thing as a government-protected? There is protected? not such a thing as a government-protected account. Is there a real Alex Mario? As far as I know, there is not a real Alex Mario. But the man calling himself Alex Mario? He had a lot of instructions for Bellis. He told her to begin the process of clearing her name, she should grab her phone, her phone charger, a pen, paper, and her driver's license. And she would need to leave work right away and get in a cab. And did she do what the scammer said? She did. Nina Bellis had told Mario where her financial accounts were, and together, they started the process of moving her money. The first stop was her Manhattan credit union. So she goes to the credit union. The scammer has coached her that if the teller asks you questions, answer them. Smile, be pleasant, be direct, answer the questions. Don't look nervous. Just play it cool. Alex Mario started small. He told Nina to transfer $9,950. If the teller asked questions, she could just say it was for apartment renovations. And Mario would know if she complied. She's still on the phone. The scammer is sort of listening to her. So he could hear if she starts giving things away and he could hang up, presumably. It worked. Bellis sent the $9,950 to a Bank of America account where the scammer told her it would be safe. But he wasn't done. The sense that I get in the progression of this is that the scammer is learning that this is someone who will transfer money. How much more can I get? And so you slowly escalate. 
Following Mario's instructions, Bellis would make another withdrawal that day. That one was for $30,500. So you see a sort of step up in the amount of money that is being sent. This seems to me like a point where there could be intervention, right? Like you go on vacation overseas, you order lunch in Costa Rica, and Amex might call you. And here you can just walk into a bank and take out $30,000? You can. It's one of the amazing things that I've learned in reporting this is that if you can answer the compliance question and you want to move your money, there is very little that your financial institution is empowered to do to say, no, you may not today. And now I'm going to, like, flip my own outrage. Rightly so. Like, it's your money. It's your money, and you are their customer, and you've answered their questions, and they're not your mom. You know, so there's, like, <laughs> right. you know, there there is both sides of this where you think, oh, my goodness, but what about consumer protection? And then you think, oh, my gosh, what about consumer freedom? Yeah. It's both. So by the end of day one, how much money had she transferred out? At the end of day one, she had transferred out more than $40,000. But Alex Mario wasn't satisfied with just $40,000. He knew there was more money on the table. Bellis had told him about $50,000 more, sitting in her and her husband's other accounts. But to get Bellis to transfer it, he'd need more time. And so Agent Mario made a shocking request. He said, we have more work to do tomorrow. You know, we need you to get a hotel room for the night and we will keep working on this. Get a hotel for the night, Alex Mario said. Don't worry, the court will reimburse you. And so why is it so important to the scam that she doesn't go home? It's important to keep the person from being able to talk to other people, validate their experiences or their concerns, or to sort of sanity check what's happening. If she goes home, you start to talk to family members. You start to be tempted to share details of the day. Alex Mario convinced Bellis to book the hotel. She told her husband there was a patient at work who needed her help. It was an extenuating circumstance. So she wouldn't be coming home that night. Does she tell you how she was feeling at that point? Very scared, very nervous. Why did she do it? It's so hard for me to understand why she did any of this. Sure. So the backdrop to all of this, at this point, she is in what law enforcement people call the ether. And that's this sort of heightened mental, emotional state where you are more vulnerable to being defrauded. And it's something that law enforcement officials have described to me as the sort of goal for the fraudster is to keep you in the ether as long as humanly possible, because that is the state at which they can manipulate you. In the ether, you're excited, you're alert, you feel like you don't have a second to lose. And one of the ways the scammer kept her in that state? They kept her on the phone. So of the first 72 hours of this scam, she was on the phone for 50. 50 hours she was on the phone. 50 hours on the phone. Over 72 hours. Over se- Of the first 72 hours of this. That's not a lot of sleep. Correct. She, at times, was still connected on the phone as she did other things. The goal for the scammer in this is we want to hear that you're not talking to other people. We want to isolate you from your family and your friends and other interactions. Even things like they said to her, if you take a shower, leave the phone connected. That's how you create the bubble. Bellis went to sleep that Wednesday in that Manhattan hotel room. Her phone was still on, sitting nearby 
her line with the scammers still open. She was scared, but also hopeful. She was on the path to clearing her name. Soon, she could go home. What Bellis didn't know was that the scammers' demands were about to escalate. Welcome back. Nina Bellis woke up in that Manhattan hotel room on Thursday, February 28th. She hadn't slept very much because throughout the night, the scammers kept checking in. And in the morning, they had more instructions for Bellis. Alex Mario sent her to two more banks that Thursday, her New Jersey Credit Union and Citibank. Altogether, she would send the scammer over $50,000 more to an account at Bank of America and another one in Panama. For the second night in a row, Nina Bellis didn't go home. She was still texting with her family, but one of her daughters told Sarah something felt off. One of her daughters says, you know, that the text messages were sort of shorter than usual during that time in the hotel, and like a red flag that was raised during the first two days of the scam was usually Nina would call her elderly mother every day, and she didn't, and that seemed weird. The husband called a coworker to say, is it normal for you to spend the night at work? And the coworker said, no, it's not. So red flags were sort of starting to go off, but they weren't out of contact with her. So it's not necessarily a let's call the police. You know, they're still talking to her. And to Bellis, it seemed like what she'd been doing for the scammers was starting to work. By Friday morning, day three of the scam, the agent told her he was beginning to cancel the arrest warrant. But he said... It would take a few more days to complete. She'd need to go stay in the hotel for two more nights, long enough for the transfers to go through. And that's where she starts to feel so angry and frustrated that she's sort of shaking and she says, I'm not spending another night in the hotel. You can come arrest me, but I'm not staying away from my family another night. And he says, let me talk to my colleagues. And he goes away and he talks to them. And then he says, okay, you can go home but you can't talk to anyone about what's happening here. So she gets home. She gets home, and her husband meets her at the bus stop and says she looks pale. She tells him her identity's been stolen. She's stressed, she's scared, but she's taking care of it. So she's half complied with what the scammer said about don't tell anyone and half not. But at this point, he doesn't know that money has been moved. But even though Bellis was back at home, the scammer kept calling and kept making demands. Sunday, they start to talk about her retirement accounts, and he asks if she has any. It's starting to make me feel sick. And does she have any retirement accounts? Yes. That was the largest sum that she had. How much was it? $273,000. Wow. And he says, well, we have to move those two. To move that, however, she needed her husband's permission, and he had to co-authorize the transfer. And he's not in the ether. He is not in the ether, but she's explaining to him. She's told him about the Social Security issue already. He sees that she's scared. She says, we have to do this. She tells him about the transfers from the prior week, but doesn't show him the documents. He just sounds like she is working through it. She's saying, this FBI agent told me I had to transfer these things to government-sanctioned accounts to protect our savings. Right, and do you want us to lose all of our savings and our retirement? You know, I'm close to retirement. 
the thing that's hanging over her this whole time is if you do nothing, A, you might go to jail, but B, your assets might be frozen and then you'll have nothing anyway. So she gets her husband to sign off on this. On the transfer, yes. Why does he say he did that? He believed her. Bellis initiated the transfer. She told her retirement account administrator that she was starting a business, another lie, and that she wanted to send the money to her Citibank account. From there, she'd initiate another transfer, sending $190,000 to their final destination, a Panamanian bank account. In the days that followed, Bellis went back to her life. Meanwhile, her life savings were working their way through the financial system into the scammer's bank accounts. By Sunday, she was feeling better. It felt like the nightmare was almost over. On Sunday, you know, she says to her husband after dinner that, you know, things are getting cleared up and the Social Security issue is being resolved. He asked to see the transfer documents, and then he sees Panama, and he said that he lost his speech. He just realized that it was fraud. He— was speechless. How else did they describe that moment? Um, that sort of harrowing moment where you realize that you've lost, how do you describe that moment where you've lost your life savings? That this account transfer is to Panama. That can't be right. Holy crap, let me see the others. Holy crap, all the money is gone. And he, like, pierces the ether. Yes. That is when it comes undone. Yeah. It just must have been horrifying for her in that moment. And the trust in a marriage, right? Like, part of why you don't question this is they say, we trusted each other. And listening to, like, both of them describe it, I can, like, see them sitting at a table with the wave of the gravity of what has just happened washing over and that feeling of, What do we do? After understanding what happened between the two of them, they then had to tell their daughters. That must have been tough. Yes. I mean, it's watching them put together the pieces that you've just put together in your brain about how profound these losses are and then trying to make a game plan. And it feels like every minute or second counts because you're trying to act quickly. And is there any chance that we can stop any of the transfers that have gone through? Who's the best person at a bank to even call about this stuff? And like did they all those try questions. to stop the transfers from going they through? They did. The family called the Citibank Fraud Department. But it was Sunday night, and the department was closed. And in any case, it was too late. A Citibank spokesman told the journal the transfer was completed in one day. And do they get the $190,000 back? They did not. The FBI is still investigating the case. If they found the perpetrators, that information isn't public. It appears that it is more sophisticated than one person dialing numbers, put it that way. But they don't know exactly how many people participated in it or how sophisticated that group is. What does this loss mean for Nina Bellis and her family? For her, it means she can't retire and has to keep working as long as she possibly can. She had hoped that You know, you play with grandkids in retirement, and you learn, and you sort of travel, and all that's off the table now. What about the emotional toll? How is that manifesting itself? It is a process that still isn't done. It's been very embarrassing, and the question of whether to tell anyone is a big one because it's so hard to explain how it happened or why it worked or all the questions that it's easy to ask, like, 
well, how could you ignore that? I mean, in retrospect, sure. Those are hard questions to answer. It's hugely brave of her to come forward and tell this story that a lot of people will judge, not positively. Mm -hmm. Why did Nina decide to tell you the story? She doesn't want it to happen to other people. So she thought, if I share my story, maybe it will keep someone else from falling for it. You know, she wasn't aware that this type of scam existed. So her feeling is, if other people are aware that it exists and can be very sophisticated and last a long time, maybe people will be more aware and alert to it and not fall for it. Nina Bellis is not the only person who fell for it. In the first nine months of the year, the Federal Trade Commission got more than 139,000 reports of government imposter scams, with losses totaling almost $30 million. The victims aren't always who you'd think. Many of them are 30 and 40-somethings, professionals, people who thought they were savvier than this, but got caught at a vulnerable time. Since Sarah's story published, even more have come forward. A Citibank spokesman said the bank encourages customers to be alert to scams and to report them. And other financial institutions mentioned in the story echoed that, saying that they work to educate customers and staff about such scams. And there are ways to protect yourself. If you get a call claiming to be from a federal agency, go through their front door, go to their website and see what their actual phone number is and call their consumer line and say, are you actually trying to get in touch with me? Get a sanity check from a friend, especially before sharing any financial information. And if you've already been targeted by a scam, you can report it. Go to fbi.gov tips. That's all for today, Friday, November 22nd. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. We're produced by Annie Minoff, Ricky Nevetsky, Sarah Platt, and Willa Rubin. Our senior producer is Pia Godkari. Annie Rose Strasser is our supervising producer. Griffin Tanner is our engineer. Our executive producer is Gerard Cole. The Journal is hosted by me, Kate Leinbaugh. And me, Ryan Knudsen. Our theme music is by Haley Shaw. Additional music this week from Blue Dot Sessions and from Peter Leonard, Billy Libby, Bobby Lord, Distance, Haley Shaw, and Hayward. Special thanks to RoboKiller and Nomo Robo for sharing their robocall recordings. See you Monday afternoon. Thanks for listening. Right. Is he still off mic or something? Yeah, because yeah. yeah, my phone, I started getting a robocall, swear to God. <laughs> mm-hmm. In the story on robocalls, I just was getting a robocall as I was trying to say the journal is a co-production of Gimlet and the Wall Street Journal.